Celtics Reddit podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. The Celtics finishing strong in Toronto and get a much needed win after maybe the most disappointing outing so far this season against the Spurs one game earlier. Joining us to talk all about it, Jackson, aka Rickman Lives. Jackson, how's it going? Good, man. My cat wants to be involved, so he might stick his all head in every now and then to tell us all, how much he loves Enos Cantor's new name. Yeah, <laughs> freedom. He's big uh, on freedom. Yeah. A New Zealand correspondent is also here, Joe, aka No Scrotes McFlow, Mc, No Scrotes McFly, rather. <laughs> Joe, how you doing, sir? Yeah, yeah, good things, good things, Ben. Um, you know, I sort of feel like, sort of feel like I'm a part-time correspondent these days, but, um, but you know, that's what that's what suits that's what suits right now, doesn't it? So absolutely, Look, yeah, we, lo- ha- we love to, to have you here. when we can have you. So. Uh, Tell tell the world what's new with uh, our New Zealand correspondent. What's new? Shivers. Um, well, I've been rolling around for the last two weeks and dad, dad bought a SSV8 Ute. Um, you know the, the ones with the hard top, hard top uh, on the back of the on the back of the Ute on the back of the deck. You know, oh, I'd like to it's say a VY no, I, model. I <laughs> uh, anyway, not a car guy, but sure, please continue. Yeah, I'm not particularly. I'm not particularly either. But it's fun, but um, this is the first thing that sprang to mind. But shivers, man. The price of the price of gas these days, I don't know what it's doing in Australia. It's normally cheaper than it is here, but um, but I'm feeling the pinch on that. But, yeah, anyway, I guess that's enough idle chit-chat from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, Joe, I, I do want to start with you, so we will require a little bit more idle chit-chat on your part. Um, okay. We've been doing the show for a few years now, and you've always been this real proponent of let's hold our judgment until we're 20 games into the season. Well, mm. we're 20 games in. We're 11 and 10 after this win today against the Raptors. Just generally speaking, and then we'll, we'll narrow down from here. Where are you at with this team? I think this team's a 12 and 9 team, but that's still not that good. Sure. Um, so I'm setting my expectations for the rest of the year at. Um, Hovering around a sort of mid forties, I'm thinking like forty four wins. Um, so that's where my expectations are set, and I'll be disappointed or pleased accordingly. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's. I, I think the record's pretty representative of where they are. I think you'd normally expect to not snatch defeat from the jaws of victory on a couple more occasions, um, but. There, the weakness. There's some inherent weaknesses, and that's sort of shown up in some late game late game execution. So, um, I guess the record's pretty indicative. I don't know. What do you reckon? So I um, I parked my car in the uh, in the parking lot of we're going to be bad to start, but we're going to be much better at the end of the season. And I'm still very much sticking by with that. Losses like the one against the Bulls, losses like the one against the Spurs, seems to like. Rattles that a the little wizards. bit. Mm-hmm. The wizards, yeah. Um, the, there are plenty of examples, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it wavers a little bit. And now I start to think, like, maybe we are just like one of those, you know, 500 teams. Basically, the team that we were um, last year with a few different positives and a few um, different negatives and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's. Um, I, I still think there's, a, there's another clear gear that we can get into and that 
will translate to Jason Tatum not shooting 7% from the field, like for <laughs> long stretches at a time. So I think as soon as he starts going, I think we will get going. Um, and then you've got all the other factors like health and, and things like that. But, you know, there are guys who are stepping up. There are guys who are, you know, just are a non-factor, unfortunately. So I think, yeah, I think 10 and 10 is pretty representative. If you told me after 20 games would be 10 and 10 or we'd be 11 and 10 after 21, I would say that's probably about right. I expect our last 20 to be far superior to our first 20. But I'll still stand by that. But I mean, I'm basing that off my fandom. So you're not optimism. disappointed. Uh, you know, the manner of some of the losses, yes, some of that would be disappointing. So it, 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 it's a, the Celtics are like a minute to minute experience, you know, and if I try to have some, you know, perspective of where I was at the start of the season, if you said that, I wouldn't be like, yeah, okay, I, I guess I, that's something to be, that's something that would be realistic. But like in the manner of some of the losses that we've had, you know, mind you coming off a win today that was like largely forgettable as far as I'm concerned, you know, I'm still very much in that, just that gray area of, you know, I don't, I, I even, I, I think a, tra- a trade gets us into a position where we're probably not going to be, you know, superior and far better than we are now. But, you know, it's like you said, Joe, expectations, right? I feel like they shift and you readjust them depending on where you are in the season. And it's hard to say. They haven't really changed, but I've also lowered them. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, boys. If we set our expectations in advance, we can then we can hold on to them and then be disappointed or happy, you know, like on a sort of rational basis. Definitely the you form, know. Yeah. So so you know, like because I would, I'm just, I'm being a bit, I'm just reading between the lines here. I think you are a little disappointed, Jackson, because I'm disappointed. Mm. I think I thought we'd be better. Um, but if you set those expectations in advance, then it sort of kind of explains how you're feeling. Hmm. I I guess like. If we're still like this at game 60, then I'd be far more disappointed than I am now. I'm just sort of, I'm, I'm, I've, I've tempered them somewhat, even though I kind of expect us to be here. But like, you know, the, the journey that you go through just molds it in a certain way. So yeah, it's 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 a very fence sitting sort of answer here. But, you know, I, I it, it is where we wanted it to be, but I kind of expected us to be better. Take that for a contradiction, you know, <laughs> but it's just, it's just how I feel. Yeah, yeah I hate. Judgment free zone. There's actually a lot of improvements that you you can track throughout the the season so far. Um, like Grant Williams has been uh, a surprise and delight situation as far as like how he's suddenly emerged as like a legitimate role player and a legitimate outside shooting threat. Josh Richardson, who we extended and that was a baffling notion early on, suddenly he's looking like a legitimate role player and. The, you know, NBA defenses, modern NBA defenses are always going to give up those little mid-range pull-ups. Miraculously, out of nowhere, Schroeder has been hitting those. That's kind of always been a part of Richardson's game, and he does seem to be, like, finding a groove with this team. Romeo Langford as well. Like, the, it's, like we always, we kind of need, like, championship teams need, like, three-thirds. That's the way I see it, to, to really succeed. And we seem to have, like, all, one, maybe two-thirds of the whole high going at once and at the moment our like um high contributing role players and our immediate guys off the bench uh, are all contributing well but unfortunately it's all hinging on the the final third which is the jays or at least one J sort of being a consistent competent like superstar slash star at all times and unfortunately that's not what's firing right now but a week or two ago that third was fine. Tatum was like suddenly, you know, supposedly out of his slump doing well, but we didn't have the other contributing pieces firing at that time. So can we have all all thirds firing at the same time 
when we need them to at the end of the season or towards the end of the season when we're battling for like a non-playing spot. Um, I don't know. John Corrales called this game against the Raptors on his podcast today the best win of the Celtics season so far. Jackson, where does that sit with you? Does that does that ring true for you? That made me dizzy to say that that was the best win of the season so far. <laughs> yeah. I, without having without having any context of what he was saying, I guess would, would part of that be attributed to the fact that Tatum plays like ass yet Completely. somehow yes. finds himself to be a plus thirteen with ten assists with other guys performing? Sure, yep. I'll take that. I'll take that absolutely. But um, I don't know. I I'm I'm a simple man, guys. I like entertaining <laughs> basketball. I'll take a boring win over an entertaining loss every single day of the week. But that was a game I watched and, and forgot about almost immediately. You, you you could tell me any story, anything out of that game, and I would be have to think about it for a second. So best win of the season. Um, you know that's one way to look at it. But you know, I mean, a win is a win, and I'll take any win. But it's certainly not the best one, as far as I'm concerned. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, um, yeah, boring ones are. Good teams have boring ones, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I'm a bit of a raptor file, so I sort of like any win over them. I sort of regard as a little bit significant, you know, because they really did own us for a long time. And mm. I know a lot of the principles aren't, aren't there anymore, but um, I, I, I think that they're a formidable organization. So any win over them is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Do you kind of feel like the Raptors um, like pull out like the file, like the Celtics file, and like the blow Raptor the dust file. off, and it's like, <laughs> all right, we're, we're back, we're playing the Celtics. Here's the formula. Let's go and execute on this. Like, I, I just always feel like, like I agree with you, Joe. They always seem to have like the formula to beat the Celtics, no matter the iteration. Is that kind of where you're, you're coming at there? It's like Australia versus New Zealand and cricket. Doesn't matter how good we are, <laughs> we're going to lose to you guys. <laughs> in all, in we're all like codes. 130 for six in India now, so we're probably going to lose today. The only thing I wasn't going to bring it up. Text messaging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're one and zero in, in unsolicited dick pics. Clearly, <laughs> and that's what really matters, right? <laughs> Um, couple of what a couple story. of remarks. You got to look it up. If the brother-in-law, <laughs> <laughs> what is this chick up to? <laughs> if you're part of ninety percent of our listeners who are based in the US, just Google Australian cricket scandal. Sort by recent because there have been a few. Yeah, <laughs> and read about the most recent one. Yeah, skip skip over the sandpaper one. That's a doozy. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> so, a couple of remarks here from the people of Celtics Reddit. User J76951 um, noted that the, the rebounding numbers, 64 to 46 in favor of the Celtics, refreshing to see. Um, was that notable for, for you guys, Joe? Like, it I feels like not that long ago, the Celtics were that sort of team where you just sort of frustratingly watching the offensive rebounds for the opposition tally up while we continued to give the other team... Uh, additional possessions. Is that something that you noticed as you were watching this game in recent games? Well, in retrospect, it, it, perhaps it is. In retrospect, I'm like, oh, I, I remember one sequence where I was like, there we go again. But realistically, you keep the teams at bay. I think the Celtics are a good defensive team. They're a very good defensive team, and they keep they, they, they can stave off runs if they clean up the, the offensive rebounding. I think like, it's a huge contributor to it. And the reality is that Toronto never really got their teeth into this game. They never really had us on the rope, so it was always kind of like we'd let them back in. Um, so the, the flow of this game sort of suggests that we were always in control defensively. And so, yeah, so obviously we were cleaning up enough pill. Yeah. In his canter. That's what, it, 
Freedom, Freedom Canter will do that for you. Yeah. An automatic <laughs> yeah. 10 and 10, even if it doesn't like an overall neutral contributor, just 10 and 10 every single time. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I mean, Jackson, d- did you want to expand on the, the Canter minutes at all? I, I just feel like we, we should pay him his due a little bit because maybe it's just that he's the perfect third string center and like now he's really found his niche in the NBA, but- you expect him to be bad, and it's not like he's flawless. I mean, he's definitely not flawless, but like he's been, he's been solid, right? I think he's he's the better version of Cantor than we had two seasons ago. The Ennis Cantor I remember from two seasons ago would miss three shots at the rim and get three rebounds and then score the last one. And <laughs> you know, fine, I'm okay with that. But it seems to me like you know he's he's cleaning up everyone's shots a lot more. His free throws are better. Um, and, you know, his plus minus, particularly in the last game against San Antonio was, you know, uh, compared to that of Al Horford and also the timing of when the Spurs went on a run against us, you know, he's obviously contributing. He's obviously got a, a place on this team. And I think, I think he's reveling in the whole, you know, uh, I am, I am the outspoken Patriot sort of social media presence that he's earned for himself now. And I think that's sort of, you know, invigorated him a little bit and it's, maybe it's translating on the court. Maybe that those things aren't, aren't related at all, but I think he's definitely the better the better version than um, than we had two seasons ago. Maybe it's just the number eleven. You know, I think as soon as since <laughs> since the number eleven got vacated, it's just you know you, you don't seem to be having a a positive outing here. Ask good old Mister Pritchard, but um, no, I'm I'm happy with what he's giving us so far for sure. Are we going to have a yarn about um, about Kenta's um, Kenta's political points of view, or are we keeping it strictly hope here? No, I mean it's it's strictly Celtics, and he's a Celtic, and it's it's relevant. So tell us what you know, Joe. Well, I was just going to say, first of all, um, this is this is the hope point. He, for me, he sits in the Dennis Schroeder kind of box for this team, which is I don't really like Dennis Schroeder's game like at all, but he provides stuff that we need that we don't really have anywhere anywhere else. Mm. We don't really have reliable dribble penetration from anyone other than than Schroeder, you know. And I, I would say maybe maybe Jalen to to a secondary extent. Um, we need it, you know. I, I he's a Schroeder's a ball hog, um, and he sh- shoots at a too low a percentage, but he does stuff we need. So you kind of just got to take the Faustian pact a little bit with him, and it's probably a little bit the same with Kenta. Um, he just I don't really like his game at all. I hate the way he moves. You know, like the aesthetics of his game suck. Can't stand it. Um, he's not a passer. He's all these things I hate. But he sets a good screen. It, well, he got oh, he got Tatum free on a tie screen. Um, mm. Right, at the, Tatum missed that layup right at the end of the game. And mm. yeah, that was that was a good screen. Um, no, but you know, look, we need rebounding. We really, really need it. We always need rebounding. We need you know, we need a target. Rolling to the middle in some fashion. So if, if Rob's not vertically spacing, at least he can like, I don't know what you call what he does, like <laughs> longitudinally space. <laughs> like <laughs> he takes up some sort of space and provides a target. So um, so yeah, like he provides something we need at very low cost. So I, I can't hate, can't hate on his game. Um, given his role, um, would. Could care less if he got traded, <laughs> but well, you know. I want to hear it, the juicy political perspective. 
Basically, the vibe of what what he's saying is along the lines of um, hopefully what I said, the mangled version of events I said before has been edited out by now. But um, basically, is he for is he is he that serious? You know, or is he sort of is it sort of a little bit of a, a is he thirsting a little bit for attention here? And I thought like I'm not a LeBron like I I'm a LeBron hater. I don't like him at all um, on a, on a, like a sports fan level. But I still thought like his calling out of LeBron, it smacked, a, it smelt a little bit fake to me. Um, it 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 was sort of like the kind of thing, the kind of stand you make when you don't expect your stand to really actually change anything. Like, what was LeBron? What did he really expect LeBron to do after that? You know, um, and I'm not like uh, like. I'm I'm not a LeBron guy at all, but that's just that's just the vibe that I got. So I'm I'm a little loath to like lionize him for his 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 stance, even though I agree with it. With the like a you know, obviously what's happening with the Uyghurs is, is shocking, and there mm-hmm. does seem to be some hypocrisy. But I just I'm just not a hundred percent willing to like you know fully get on the canter train and be like, yeah, he's our boy. I love love everything he's about. It's just something that's it just. Smells a little bit like maybe he's, you know, if you were going to take a negative view of it, like he might be setting himself up for a post-playing career kind of kind of role, carving out a little media role or something like that. Hmm. Now, that's that's just idle speculation, right? But, um, but yeah, that was just my vibe on it. I was just a little bit like, oh, I don't, I don't know that this quite rings true for me. Like going after LeBron particularly like that felt like a little bit more point scoring than anything else. You went but, after MJ as well. Right. I mean, and but what's going to ha- I don't know, like like is is that going to affect change? I I don't I don't know. Like I just maybe I'll just leave you guys. What do you what do you guys reckon? What do you actually what do you reckon of what I reckon? What do you actually reckon? Reconception. What do you think, Jackson? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going a few layers deep. Um, yeah, look, uh, anyone who wants to come out and speak their mind on political topics that are clearly important, as this, as this, this Chinese genocide, and also you know Erdogan in, in Turkey, you know, take your pick, a, pick your poison with Canada. You know, he's clearly a, a political guy, and he cares about these things. I, I genuinely believe that. I don't think it's all you know posturing for social media points. Is his vigor and is his um, sort of motivations behind bringing it up all about, you know, affecting change or all about, you know, trying to actually move something or is it a little bit sensationalism? You know, I think there's definitely a bit of column A, a bit of a column B. It's calling out Nike, you know, specifically, you know, that is tied to the NBA is like, I, I feel like is a little bit of, you know, posturing, you know, particularly when the Celtics have a great big Nike tick on their jersey as well that he happens to wear. Like, unless if you, if you wanted to do the, funny you mentioned Jordan, you remember when Jordan went to the, the Olympics and they wore the Nike over the, the was it the Reebok the, or was the it flag? The flag was over the yeah. over the Reebok. Jacket. Yeah. So if yeah, you yeah. if you wanted to if you wanted to like you know put like you know the Hong Kong flag over the Nike tick and the NBA somehow let that fly, then you know that feels like something that would be in his you know realm of you know I'm making a statement here. But yeah, I mean, it's very easy to point at LeBron James, and I'll jump on the, 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 the let's all shit on LeBron James wagon you know, any day of the week. But you know, I think it's it's more it, it'd be easier to do so about, you know, how bad of a movie Space Jam 2 was rather than his shoe deal with Nike because how <laughs> many other people, 
Yeah, precisely. Would, I would write. No, I was going to say something that I didn't mean. Um, about, about it, what things I would rather do than watch Space Jam two again. I won't do it. Um, but yeah, you know, like, he's not alone. Like to act like what you know, Adidas doesn't have you know, uh, you know, child labor or New Balance doesn't to some degree. Maybe not New Balance. I don't know. I'm I'm get, getting a little bit lost here. But, they would you know, never. Yeah, no, of course not. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, f- I feel like his, his heart's in the right place, but, you know, his, his motivations behind going after, like, LeBron in, very, in a very public way is sort of, you know, hey, everyone, here I am as well, you know, old 10 and 10 canter over here, freedom canter over here, and changing the name too. It's like it just it just reeks of meta world peace. It just reeks of, you know, like it, it's something Kyrie Irving would do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Freedom Irving or Ky- Kyrie Irving. Yeah, yeah, precisely. So, like, I think that I, I, it, it, that doesn't really. I mean, you are free to do whatever you want, obviously, and I, I think that's funny, to be perfectly honest. But I mean, as far as like his motivations are concerned, I think he just, I, I think he just likes, you know, s- s- ruffling some feathers. To be honest, I think I, yeah. I think that's all it is. I think you guys said it all. There's not much that I can add to that. Only in agreeing. Join that us, Ben. Join us on the political to, hot take train. He seems to. He seems to lack. Well, he does lack credibility, and so the impact of his statements and his movements um, aren't significant. At least that's how I feel. So when he does or says something and it makes a headline, it doesn't hit the same as if it was someone with more stature or because apparently he is associated. And I don't have the details here, so I'm I'm gonna sort of hover above the the real truth here but apparently he's got some associations with political people and otherwise in turkey that um they don't they aren't necessarily uh the most uh people centric <laughs> people so it's not like he has a completely clean slate and he's he's sort of operating from a standpoint of total innocence here so that that i think detracts from his credibility and the fact that he's kind of like just emerged as, as this sort of sudden social justice warrior as opposed to that being part of his persona throughout his career. Um, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't hit home. But at the same time, power to anyone who wants to speak out, who has a platform about issues of concern. So um, I, I guess I almost have a, a standpoint of indifference, like power to him, but it doesn't necessarily hit home as well. But I, I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, and in the meantime, as long as he wants to continue gathering all of those rebounds um uh i'm, I'm cool with it um so I, we'll, we'll see where it goes sorry joe no no that's cool I, I you know sometimes when you make a point um it's quite good to sit there and listen to other people say and you can think of a better way maybe to get at the heart of what you were trying to say mm-hmm. and and um like look, <laughs> look i'm a pretty socially conservative person um, I, like i don't want to get into that because this isn't the space but Suffice to say that um, the um, like that the comments that say LeBron might make about Black Lives Matter, um, and as compared with his seeming silence on on China, I still I kind of find myself wanting to stick up for LeBron a little bit there because proximity matters, you know, like um, it just does, you know. There's like this the the causative link between LeBron having um, a Nike endorsement and Nike having manufacturing facilities in China and the NBA as a whole having, you know, a business partnership with Chinese broadcasters. There's a few chains of, in the causative link away, you know, between that and, and Uyghurs being 
you know, being detained. Yeah. And I don't know that that's, I don't think it's fair to expect like LeBron to have that much power to, you know, pull on that causative chain, if you like, and, and, and make a change. And, and of course it's different for him. If a, black guy gets shot he's gonna feel way differently about it than um you know he's gonna feel way differently about it to a different set of people that he's not you know connected with in the same way of course he is sure you know well, he, does and, and that, he does in the sense that he's a muslim you can understand that right well i'm sort of talking about Le- Le- lebron here having his connection with, yeah so yeah so so candid being a muslim mm-hmm. obviously connects him to the to the Uyghurs. Mm-hmm. um but i just i just want to say that like qualifying as a social conservative person i still find myself wanting to 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 give lebron a little bit of a break on those grounds like of yeah. course he would be a bit more concerned with what's happening in the states than china yeah and and i'll, I'll leave my comments there but um yeah well, so, yeah, I, I agree, but I do think Kant is right in that it's going to take someone like LeBron, because no one internally in, in China has the free speech opportunities to speak out on these issues. So, it, it, it is going to require someone foreign to China, but with a global platform, maybe like LeBron James, to speak out on these things, to enact change. And so, calling out LeBron James on that, is important because he's maybe one person in a short list of people who could, if they did publicly speak out on this, you know, even if it's just raising better global awareness of these issues, these atrocities that are occurring in China, that could be impactful. Cantor alone doing it is, as we've discussed, not impactful enough. And like I've just said, no one in China can achieve this themselves. Um, But of course, like you said, Joe, you know, problems that are literally closer to home are going to be more important to LeBron James. And so it's kind of okay for him to be focusing on that. So I don't know. Maybe that's where we need to leave it. But it is interesting because Cantor plays for the Celtics. He is playing well in his role. Uh, and yet there's this whole thing going on. But did you see the freedom chance that the players were making in the tunnel before the game today? Like it does seem no, like they, they? They, like nice. he has their full support. <laughs> um Yeah, yeah. And, He's clearly yeah, a well liked so, guy, hey. And then yeah. in, in his locker room, you know. Mm. Yeah, well, our you know close personal friend of the show, uh, Chris Forsberg, used to have the uh, Enos Cantor show. Um, I feel like that would take on a whole new form if they were to bring back that podcast. Probably be very political, and you know, based on the the few minutes that Cantor's getting on the court, not very uh, hoops based. But uh, guys, w- will you allow me to segue back to the the Raptors game today? Just very briefly. <laughs> the game was so I just... boring. We had to pull the political card. Yes, <laughs> it was a good time. I just. I... <laughs> I just wanted to. I just, you know, the where I saw that that chant was on our chat, and and I was really proud of my little meme that I made. <laughs> so I just wanted to one. shout out my meme yeah. to the boys. It was very good. I'll, uh, I'll have to try and remember to flash it up on the on the YouTube version of this pod. Um, please subscribe, like, share, etc. Uh, user Spinexa wrote: "Us being able to win when JB and JT aren't playing to their standards is a massive revelation." Um, Jackson, like we, we touched on Tatum's poor shooting performance earlier, but what did you make of Tatum's, Tatum's performance in this game? Because obviously he was impactful, at least down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, when you are the player profile and you have, you know, you are the guy that Tatum is and you expect him to, you know, put up like, you know, massive amounts of points and whatnot, when he does shoot, you know, 12, 16%, whatever it was from the field, 
you can't help but walk away from the game, you know, with a bit of a sour taste in your mouth. But 10 assists is nothing to be sneezed at. And I think he had eight rebounds as well, too. I've like I've noticed this season this season he seems to be making making it far more of his business to crash the boards, which is great. Um I thought he could have probably had another maybe three or four assists on top of that. I think um I think there were a few brick threes. There was one great little like bounce pass that he that he put into to the Richardson key, into the it was Richardson, Richardson was like say, second quarter. Langford, yeah, you know, just like spilt it out, and he so many like just you know cross court passes to like Langford or whoever who um who missed threes and whatnot. So he could have had another couple on there too. So I mean, when you aren't shooting the ball, you know the one thing that you would expect him to do is get other guys involved and ten assists. You know, you know, be it you know fortuitous or not definitely represents that he was doing that and a plus 13 as well too i know like you know the the plus minus can be misrepresented and you know twisted to any way that you want it to but you know that's that says something that he was the only starter with a with a, in the um in the positive um so look i think as long as i think if he continues to to be in this shooting slump if he is putting up those kind of you know assist numbers and he is you know making the right play and still crashing the boards you know you're going to live with that but I still think we're not going to, you know, find our next gear until he unlocks that consistent level of shooting. And even if it just only goes for a month and then regresses again, well, that's going to be a good month. That's going to be like a, you know, we'll, we'll go like, you know, six and two in that month or whatever, how many games we play. We'll win more than we lose. So I'm, 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 I'm encouraged by it, but it's, it's still not, it, it, it's still probably not the kind of game that you want Tatum to have. You see, there's a post on RNBA that said he's first in shots taken in the NBA. Did you know that? Yeah, it's yeah, mental, and right? Eight, and yeah. number one. Made. Yeah. yeah. And eighth is higher than I thought it would be. I thought he'd be, <laughs> yeah. be lower. I thought he'd be in the sort of hundreds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, I don't know, man. Well, Ben, yours. I, I, I feel like of um a lot of the ground I would cover on Tatum's possibly already been covered before. So I'll give you a crack. Well, how, how gracious of me. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Uh, we spent a lot of the season talking about him naturally. He's our quote-unquote best player. Um, I I guess I liked that in the fourth quarter, he was like, I'm only going to do things that win us this game. And that was pretty clear through most of the fourth quarter. He missed a few bunnies, which were, you know, they were the right shots to take at the time. He just missed them because he's in this slump. What I would love to see Tatum do is take on that approach from the opening tip of the game. I'm only going to make winning plays. I'm only going to make the right play right from the get-go because if he's looking to pass out of those double teams and he's always going to see those double teams straight away and he's kicking to guys like Langford, like Grant Williams, who can shoot and knock them down, then suddenly the opposing defense can't afford to double him or they need to adjust because the points are coming elsewhere and they need to shift their defensive focus elsewhere and then suddenly maybe those shots do become available for Tatum and that's a way for him to sort of settle in and and find a groove. It seems like, well, it doesn't seem like, it's definitely his approach at the moment is like, get your shots in, get your shots up. You know, whether you're double teamed, whether you're um, closely guarded on the perimeter with very little motion and you can, you know, anyone who's watched more than like 10 Tatum games can pick a mile off when he's going to go into his step back. And so, like, professional mm. NBA scouts and, like, defensive scouting, they have to be hyper aware of that. And so, I'd love to see him, like, change up, I guess, like, the pacing of his approach. Um, so, it was really good to see that in a microcosm in the fourth quarter. I'd love to see that throughout the course of a full game and then ultimately as he matures as a player throughout the course of a, a full season. 
and then maybe we don't get these slow starts. And maybe we aren't sitting here at 11 and 10, ultimately disappointed, because going back to what we first talked about, I am disappointed. My expectations were crazy high. This is the first time that we're really going to play through Tatum and Brown, and we got rid of all those stragglers, the Gordon Haywards, the Kyrie Irvings, the Campbell Walker, all these bloody useless all-stars who are just detracting from the real impact, from the real real superstars. And it's like, okay, like now there's no more excuses, right? These guys need to do it. And uh, they're young, they're immature. They're just, I think they need to change up the approach. And uh, take it from me, I played in the uh, Redfern C-grade Mixed league tonight. Got a got a few assists. Uh, assists. I thought my approach was pretty good. So we're going to listen to anyone. Well. Jason it was Tatum. red fern. Fists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean don't listen to me. Obviously, but, uh, I, <laughs> in the mixed league. <laughs> uh, I just uh, yeah. To summarize, liked his fourth quarter. Would like to see that uh, applied to a much larger sample size. Um, so interesting tweet here from Taylor Snow, who said in the home opener versus Toronto. The Celtics were 32 for 82 field goal, 11 for 34, uh, three-point. And then tonight, they were 34 and 82 field goal percentage and 12 for 34 three-point shots. Um, Boston lost the first game by 32 and won the second game by 12, uh, which is to say that our defense is, is vastly improved. Yeah. It's um, a mental stat. That's, a, that's remarkable. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's a really nice snapshot of like... You know, we talked about there have been improvements through the season, and obviously the the defense is the is the primary one. Um, before we move on to sort of some more holistic stuff, guys, talked about the game. We talked about kind of the season so far. Any other standouts from this game? I mentioned Grant Williams and Romeo Langford. Is there anyone else that you want to sort of shout out from this game in particular? I'll take the opportunity to say that you know Josh Richardson with eighteen points off the bench, you know, was was much needed, particularly if we didn't have you know a Schroeder. Um, and with Jalen Brown paying about like what sixty percent of his of his force and his potential that he can, so there's going to be games where Richardson, you know, is 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 the scapegoat and he just stinks the place up, and everyone's going to be like, why is he here? Why did we do this to him? But you know, I think it's important to appreciate the games where you know he puts in a really solid performance on both ends of the floor, and I thought that was tonight. So I'll give a shout out to uh, to old Jay Rich. Yeah, I, um, Richardson seems to me to be like. The kind of guy who you, he's kind of almost like how Evan Turner was, you know, like Evan Turner's not at his best when he's shooting threes. Um, Richardson just seems like so much more of an effective player when he's taking shots from the elbow. And, and you know, as a, <laughs> I don't know how you guys find this in your experience as players, but I, I feel like the one thing that the three-point revolution forgets is that Shots in rhythm are so much better than shots that are not in rhythm or in your comfort range, you know, and that's what they, I feel like that's why players sometimes maybe are a bit resistant to it because have you guys ever done this in a game where you've been like, oh, I should take the three, you know, and you might force yourself to step back when your body doesn't really want to do it. Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like that it affects your flow and, and, and like made baskets are so much so important. You know, because they stem the they stem the well. One, the other team's taking the ball out of the net, and 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 secondly, um, they they just keep the scoreboard ticking over. They just keep that scoreboard pressure on uh, the other team, and um, there's a value in guys that can contribute like that. You know, I I'm not sure that analytics has accounted for variance correctly yet, um, and I feel like 
Richardson's a significantly lower variance scorer when he's when he's getting to those to those elbow um, free throw line jumpers. I've made yeah. six three pointers my entire playing career. I remember every single one of them. So <laughs> no, as far as like rhythm goes with the three, <laughs> can't hold you there. But no, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I'd much rather I'd much rather the shot you know go in you know than not go in. And you know if that if that if if that ends up you know being a, a, a tougher two than an open three for someone like a Richardson, then yeah, absolutely, I'd much rather him look for those kind of shots. Yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned the how we shouldn't derive too much from single game plus minus. And like Grant Williams had a good game, right? Like he was kind of a standout performer. Finished a minus 10 to Jadim's, uh, Jadim's, <laughs> Jason Tatum's plus 13. Um, Marcus Smart is the person I wanted to give a shout out to who's been fantastic lately and really able to penetrate into the paint, which I guess I didn't think was a part of his game. Um, he put up a few more shots than we might expect of him this game, 16 field goal attempts, which is a little high for what we've seen from him so far this season. But eight rebounds, six assists, um, 21 points. He really is sort of um, finding this groove as a, a pure point guard while maintaining his uh, defensive prowess there. So Worth giving a shout out to. I don't. I don't think we win this game without Marcus Smart, and he did a really good job for the most part on the on the Raptors guards there. So I want to get to the underrated plays of this game so far. So I'm going to play these for you and, and mumble over them as we watch them. Yeah, I want to highlight this. So this is Smart finding Jalen Brown on a really smart cut in transition. It was you know interesting that we we're just talking about Marcus Smart. It was a really good find there by by Marcus and a really good cut by a, a slowly ramping up Jalen Brown and. This one here is one of many driving kicks from Tatum. Where we see him as soon as he sees that double team, he kicks it out to Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson gets to his spot in that sort of mid-range pocket that we talked about, and uh, a really timely bucket there to sort of put things away. I want to pivot to the plays of the game as well, guys. But first play of the game is Jalen getting to that same mid-range pocket, and that's a shot that he's been hitting prior to his injury, and I'm sure he'll find that form. And now uh, he penetrates again. And gets that sort of spinning behind the back pass to Grant Williams, who's just money from three currently. It's a really nice sort of silky pass there. Here's the replay from Jalen Brown and kind of this like showtime spin behind nice. the back pass. Very, very elite Magic Johnson style pass. One of the play here, uh, which as I believe Smart... Come- oh, this is Horford bringing the ball up in transition and taking more dribbles than he's ever taken in a single possession before finally we see the swing pass to... Marcus Smart, who hits an extremely timely three-pointer. And the reason I wanted to highlight that as the play of the game is because if there was ever a point in this game where the Raptors looked like they were maybe going to strike, it was that moment. They had really sort of narrowed the lead. And that was a really timely, albeit very ill-advised, contested shot from Marcus Smart. But he hit it. And then we kind of never looked back from that point. So a bit of ball movement there and a bit of... uh, how do you say clutch bucketry from uh, from Marcus Smart to sort of put things away? That was like one and of- lost in the third, man. Yeah, totally. That was like yep. that was like part of a seven nothing run, I think, too. After the Raptors had gone up two, and they completely botched like a three on one layup, and then we just yeah, I think we went went seven and zero, and then yeah, never looked back from there. So yeah, no, I, I stand behind that as probably the most important player of the game, sure. So another important thing that was going on during the game was we have our, our Slack chat, uh, formerly known as the Build Around Marcus Smart Society, and uh, there are two other people in that chat, Celtics J and Wayne Spoonie, and one of them uttered a pretty dirty thought uh, about trading 
Jason Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> so I ask you guys this, Jackson, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. What is your dirtiest Celtics-related thought that you've had uh, this season, like, I guess? Oh, this season. I went ever. Um, well, if you want to go season, ever, that, that's fine. I would have loved to have seen LeBron play for us. Oh, 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 that is dirty. Just, That's exactly because why not? Hey, because why not? That would just that would just piss <laughs> off so many people. He would like LeBron's. Everyone wants to hate on LeBron anyway, and then he comes to the Celtics, the the Boston Celtics. It would just be it would just be like you know the Garnett, Pierce, Ray Allen, Big Three times fifty. It's disgusting. I don't like it, but I think it would have been it it, it it's a it's a dirty thought. Or <laughs> that is dirty. That's so much dirtier yeah. than what I had. That oh yeah. Uh, I've had some. I've had some absolutely filthy thoughts about John Wall, and it's because oh. I haven't seen him playing. It's because I haven't seen him playing in ages, obviously. Yeah. So, like, you know, the high school, the high school hottie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonder how she's looking. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not great, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and no, I, you know, sometimes I thought, oh, you know, like I'm, I'm, I love having Al Horford back on the team, but I wanted, oh. What would Horford plus filler for for John Wall? Because there is a certain amount of redundancy with Horford mm-hmm. that there wouldn't be with John Wall, mm. I don't think. John Wall, at least the John Wall I remember, you know. Mm. Yeah, the, the Horford redundancy thing is tough with how many games Rob Williams has missed recently. It's like he's sort of a central hardware for us right now, Horford, and I don't know if we'd get that yeah. back with John Wall, but... um. I know what you mean. Like, you sort of, you're limited with like what contracts fit and like what's tradable. Um, so, yeah, that's a dirty thought. The other, the other dirty thought I had, and oh, forgive me, Father, um, but but I do love Rubio, and I wondered how a smart for Rubio swap might might work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just a just could be a different look, you know. I've had that thought this season as well. That was one of the dirty thoughts I wanted to to unleash on you guys, but um, I veered away from it in recent games because I feel like Smart has kind of come. He's played really well. A bit. Yeah, has that has that sort of changed your approach to that that thought? Yeah, I mean, I'd love Rubio anyway. You know, um, without without having to go at Smart, but like I love Smart. He's he's my favorite player. You know. Um, Sometimes frustrating, but he's my favorite player, and 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 for the reasons that we see all the time, like all the time, how many how many momentum shifting plays does he make? Even on that jump ball against the Spurs, right where he out jumped, mm-hmm. I forget who it was, Dejounte Murray. He got the tap and he tipped it to somebody who makes yeah. a lot of money for the Celtics, who <laughs> really didn't try hard enough to catch that ball. <laughs> Well, that kind of segues anyway. into my, my dirty thoughts. Uh, and these are very vague thoughts, as the majority of my thoughts are. And that has just been... It's very non-specific as well, but floating both the Jays, either of the Jays, on the trade market and seeing what we could get back to them, uh, which I know is like blasphemous uh, for most Celtics fans, but these thoughts have occurred to me in sort of the... The deepest, the deepest, darkest doldrums of the season so far. <laughs> like after that Spurs game, um, like after that first Raptors game, you know, like whenever I see people talk about all oh, the Jays can't coexist like, online, normally I I shrug it off, but 
you know, this is a safe space. We're talking about dirty thoughts. I acknowledge these as dirty <laughs> thoughts and not legitimate thoughts. Um, but it has crossed my mind multiple times. Like, maybe pair either Jay up with a player mm-hmm. they can sort of uh, work well in tandem with. Because, like, how many plays do we really see where it's like Tatum and Brown worked well together on that one to get the bucket? You know, like, it's kind of either one of them and yeah. a contributing role player. It's never often like, oh, look how well they set each other up. And, you know, they're both so young and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We talk about this all the time. I'm not willing to give up on them yet, but I have had those dirty thoughts. So, yeah. like, I, that, I, I might um, go to confession <laughs> and get those that invokes, the, that invokes the Fermi paradox, if you ask me. Are you guys familiar with the Fermi paradox? No, educate us. It is the, um, it is the, uh, the overwhelming probability that there is other intelligent life in the universe, yet there is absolutely zero evidence to suggest it. <laughs> yeah. You would be absolutely <laughs> certain that Brown and Tatum eventually at some stage in their careers would be good enough to, you know, at least make the finals and maybe win a championship. <laughs> but have there is zero any, have evidence. Have you seen anything to suggest that that's definitely going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. I still believe it, obviously. And saying zero evidence, they've been to what? Uh, two conference finals now, so yeah, you know, yeah. it's not yeah. like it's all like stars around when they did that. Yeah, bloody precisely, but you know, they did. and stuff. There's certainly yeah, a universe suck. where trading one of them away and getting a better fit, for lack of a better term, probably makes us a better team. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to sign off on that. Well, not yet. I don't want. I want to keep my soul intact at least for another couple <laughs> years. Well, obviously, I've been known to piddle such filth already, um, <laughs> Joe. So I'm going to offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, call me Larry Flint. Um, the like, I'm, I'm still, I'm gonna try and zig a little bit here, or zag. I don't know which is which. Is it zig when others zag? I don't I know what the expression when is. Everyone's zigging. It's fine. Vice versa. I think we we need to like keep in mind what Tatum what the evidence, particularly of Tatum, actually is. And there is very strong evidence to suggest that he's a six foot ten guy that's going to shoot over the course of a season 45 and 39 or thereabouts, you know? Um, he is that guy. Trust me, he is that guy. Now, equally, I think there's enough evidence to suggest that he, one of the, the factors of his game uh, that limits him is that he doesn't, put a lot of pressure on the rim. He's just not that good at it. Um, I don't know how you can watch him and not conclude that. Brown is so much better at it. Brown gets lower. Brown's got, honestly, a better handle. Brown's a way more intuitive finisher around the rim, um, which is funny after Brown had those yips at the start, you know, two, mm. two three years ago. It was like, Brown, for goodness sakes, make mm-hmm. a layup, mate. But but he is. He's just like, you, you compare the two. He, he, he doesn't have, like, that. But um, I also want to defend him against criticism that isn't like isn't isn't going to stick in the long term. Like he's going to shoot, he's going to shoot it well. He can pass when he draws the double. He can pass. For me, the bigger trouble that he's going to have is actually drawing the double consistently when not really being that much of a threat to put pressure on the rim. Um, you, you know, so that that little open up his passing game probably more than the other way around. I sort of feel. Um, but yeah, look, if Tatum's big and can shoot, and um, his the weaknesses in his game mean that he has kind of low variance, oh sorry, high variance offense. 
mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I feel like Jalen Brown's weaknesses, I think Jalen's more prone to tunnel vision than Tatum is. But Jalen also, on the flip side, puts a lot more pressure on the rim. And uh, I think Jalen does a lot of things, really important things, a bit better than Tatum. <laughs> this is that, And I'm making a comment as to who's better. Do they play well together? No, I, I don't think that they do, really. Um, but, um, yeah, you still got to get someone better. You still got to get the better. You've still got to get a better player, or you've still got to get more value, right? Than Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown in a trade out for them. That's yeah. really hard to find. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. really really hard to find. That's why. Like, well, the- depending on your depending on your view of Ben Simmons and and, uh, <laughs> and Matisse Tybal and yeah. Steph Curry, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, look, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I I think if we have learned anything from Jason Tatum, it's that he does sort of figure it out the further we go into the season and particularly after the All-Star break. And if you can have passing vision games like you had tonight, but pair that with a shooting threat, then I think that's really going to open things up for him and the team. But, you know, I'm not saying anything that we don't already know. Um, interesting, interesting dirty thoughts though. And let us know in the in the comments if you've got, I'm sure you all do at this point where we've had this sort of topsy-turvy season. Let us know the darkest place your mind has gone to because, you know, it's a safe space. No one's going to... I mean, I, I can't guarantee no one will downvote you. People probably will. People will probably downvote this episode, but we will We will uh, love you and, and nourish you as uh, necessary. Um, another thing that Celtics J pointed out in our chat, uh, and I think I've just outed him by mentioning him there. Apologies, Celtics J. Uh, is that Jason Tatum <laughs> may have peaked last year as this sort of like faux rich man's Paul Pierce kind of character, uh, and we're never going to see that again. So... To go a little meta here, I suppose I wanted to ask you guys about your own peaks in life. And, and Jackson, we'll start with you. Uh, any parallels here for you? Can you tell us about when, when you peaked in life? Are you peaking right now or do you anticipate peaking at some point in the future? Jeez, that's a good one. Um, I guess I, you know, pre-COVID, living overseas, running a film studio, being about six kilos lighter, having a much <laughs> manlier beard. And I, and I was and I was and I was younger than I was. I feel I feel like that's probably <laughs> this, my strongest point to date. But at the same time, no, I don't. I don't feel. I feel like my best years are ahead of me. Absolutely, and, and I think Tatum is the same. A good way to be. What about you, Joe? For sure. There's this. It's interesting, eh? Because like, there's we can only do this in retrospect, right? So we're always backwards looking when mm. you're trying to answer this question. Like, where was the peak of your life? It's impossible to look forward to know where the peak future peak might be um but uh, i don't know like 22 22 was a was a cool year for me i was living in vancouver in canada and um and <laughs> um people like the accent man i don't know it's it's the <laughs> dumbest thing but they they do they just do <laughs> so god bless you um <laughs> Yeah. The other the other only the other little peak was would have been like twenty six. Man, twenty six was a good twenty six was a good year. But on the flip side, I was in full quarter life crisis mode at the same time. Like it was it was quite it was quite a it was quite a uh well it was quite a polarity of a you know, of an experience, you know. So on the one hand, you know, I was in the best shape of my life. It was like 
crossfitting like four days a week in the morning and um and i i did this graphic design diploma which i've never used before or since but i loved it and enjoyed it and um had like lots of really good routines in life and on the other hand i was like <laughs> i don't know that, that classic mid-20s thing of like oh my gosh i haven't made a decision so far in my life and and where am i Shivers, I'm 90% of the way to 30, you know? Yeah. You've got that looming, they got that looming, like, um, sort of Damocles, like, age 30 thing hanging over your head, you know? Um, that you have, don't have to deal with so much maybe when you're past 30. Yeah, it's kind of a relief when you get to and beyond 30 and you're like, oh, I'm oh still yeah. there. <laughs> like, it's age so much ain't better. nothing but a number. It's so much better in my opinion. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, I just, I went to an, I went out for the first time in weeks weeks and weeks on Saturday and I was like you used to, I used to get me so pumped to go to the pub I'm like yeah we go and I was in line for five seconds and I was just like get me the fuck out of here yeah. <laughs> this is so not what I want and I, I was no element of jealousy whatsoever no matter how many like young 20 year olds like walked past me I was just like no no this ain't this ain't my bag no you're more. done it was fine done. it was fine there's definitely a piece that you get after 30 for sure absolutely yeah and also I, I will say that I have forgotten how to socialize and even forgotten how to like kind of dress <laughs> to go out like I've been going out a little bit recently my wife and I obviously we have a kid but we've been sort of taking turns as we've come out of lockdown to have nights out each and then we also yeah. give each other the gift of like I'll get up and look after our daughter in the morning so you can sleep it off. Um, but both of us have admitted to, my wife and I, of like getting out and be like, there's like a Seinfeld bit on this, like, well, now we're out. We really got to be getting back. It's like, you're never really content in the location that you're yeah. at. It's like, no, I've got to be going. And it, you absolutely feel like that. Uh, I'll, I'll be very quick, but uh, I feel like I've had three peaks. Uh, 22, uh, similar to you, Joe. Good year. That was 2009 for me. Celtics had obviously just won the only title that they've won in my lifetime. Ah, mm. But I had, a, I had a really good share I was 22 when the Celtics won. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a really good share house situation and like we just played a lot of like FIFA and NBA 2K. We had parties all the time. Uh, we were all in bands. Uh, I met Alice Cooper while playing in a band. No oh, way. I had like just a really good sort of like a good creative slash lazy time where like I just had a job that paid for all of my- impulsive habits uh which we'll leave at that and uh it was it was a really really fun time and uh then fast forward to 2019 right before we uh i guess conceived our child uh my wife and i went to oh, japan the <laughs> <laughs> before that uh nonsense uh we went to japan then I went overseas uh, to the States for work initially, but then I saw like Luka Doncic play in the States. I saw uh, a LeBron Kawhi uh, season opener. So the Lakers versus uh, mm. the Clippers there. Um, had this really good year of like travel um, across the globe and like just basically doing everything that I love, which is like eating and watching sports and, and drinking, uh, as it were. Um, and then things have obviously quietened down a lot since then. But we've had our child a year ago, and I would consider that to be the peak because mm-hmm. having a child is a very complex thing, and it will certainly bring about the most challenging things that you've ever experienced in your life, at least from my perspective. But at the same time, 1,000% the most joyful, the most happy experiences that I could ever possibly have imagined. And so it's hard to not feel like now is a peak as well. So right. maybe maybe that just says I'm a very indecisive person. Maybe it says I just live a good life. But uh, it's uh, nice to con- sort of contemporaneously be able to recognise the peak. 
as well, you know, as yeah. well as mm. being in it. Yeah, absolutely. COVID doesn't help. COVID, some troughs in there, definitely. <laughs> COVID-related yeah. troughs. But uh, uh, as it pertains to the Celtics, we can only hope that the Jays, their peaks are ahead of them and not behind them because that would be uh, that would be dreary. Um, hopefully, hopefully Tavis Peak isn't also playing overseas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be, yeah, absolutely. That would be good. <laughs> we're we're going to finish on this post from user Jay Kiaso. I've definitely messed up the pronunciation there. Uh, their post was tough December schedule. The Celtics November opponents are currently a combined 21 games under 500 and Boston won nine of 15 games. The Celtics December opponents are currently a combined 75 games over 500. What do you think our record will be by January after this difficult stretch? Personally, says this poster, I think if shots start falling and the D holds up, we can really surprise um, some people uh, coming into the new year. Guys, a schedule this difficult for a Celtics team at this juncture, do you see it as something that could potentially galvanize a team who typically plays up or down to their competition? Or is this stretch, is this the stretch that like perma bans us to play in territory joe what do you think um i think we've got an opportunity to forge an identity as a win ugly type team and um so look i expect us to have a good stretch here yeah have a good stretch at some point in the season so so why not now yeah Hmm. we play the lakers and tatum always shows up against the lakers so that'll be fine (laughs) we also do love a west coast road trip historically so and even in like oh, like like wildly inconsistent years, you know, we can still go to Golden State, we can still go to Staples or, or Crypto, whatever it's called now, and, and put up good the performances. The Crypt, yeah, <laughs> we will put, we will be putting LeBron in the Crypt, I assure you. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we opened this podcast talking about how well, well I, I was talking about how I'm, I'm sort of disappointed, but I'm not, but I am that we're 500. If we are still 500 on January 1st or one game above, I'd break your hand off right now. Now that might be the pessimistic take, probably, but. If we can come out of that, like basically where we are now, surviving, surviving that West Coast trip, I would, I would classify that as getting through it. I would be okay with that. I think that sets us up nicely for the run into the All Star break, and we're not, you know, we're not this Sisyphean task of, you know, just trying to get up a hill that we never can seem to get up of. I think I would take that in a second. Yeah, we've got to get the Sixers game on on Thursday our time, Wednesday night oh, yeah. in the states, um, and hopefully. There's a sense of like kicking while they're down, maybe while Tobias Harris and, and Joel Embiid are like still on the up from their seemingly like pretty terrible COVID experiences. But then on the road, it's the Jazz, the Blazers, and then a back-to-back Lakers, then Clippers uh, who are playing well, and then the Suns. Um, that's that's the road trip there, which is... And then we come back and we play the Bucks and the Warriors, then the Knicks mm-hmm. and the Sixers. It's a, it's a brutal month. So... um yeah, it's a, it's going to be a huge test for this team, and you know it's been such a to use Joe's terminology high variance season, right? Like it's been such a roller coaster. We've seen so many instances of the Celtics so far. It'll be great to see them really come together and and just like really shit on some of these teams, for lack of a better term. So um, we'll see, but we've got that to look forward to. Um, mm-hmm. There's a comment here on the the post there from user Orange Cookie. He wrote, "If Tatum can progress to his normal and Rob Williams stays healthy, I think Boston can win eight of fifteen, maybe nine. If he keeps this slump up, Boston will be chasing a play-in seed, um, which is definitely a risk. Like at this juncture in the season, if we come out of this well under five hundred, 
then it kind of sets up the rest of our season to be chasing like a, a either a low playoff seed or a play-in spot, which kind of, I don't know, we talked about expectations earlier, but that really shifts us out of at least my initial expectations that we'd be battling to even get into the playoffs or a play-in spot in the first place. So very important month coming up. Guys, we're about to wrap up. Any other thoughts, any other takes or miscellaneous points you want to rattle off before we wrap this one up? No, mate, I'm done. I have to go watch Succession, so... Me too. I'm halfway yes. through the, the episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you for listening. Celtics Jay and Wayne Spoonie will likely be back with another podcast later this week. Jackson, Joe, love your work, guys. Thanks again. Likewise, Ben. Joe, See ya. Thank you, mate. All right. Until next time, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.